Hello, my name is Maiwa and welcome to Maiwa in Conversation, a podcast that aims to explore the unique perspectives of Africans. This season, I have conversations with Nigerians that are making an impact by disrupting societal and cultural norms, fighting against injustices, creating new paths and platforms, and who are showing that there are in fact limitless possibilities on the continent. On this episode, I'm talking to Matthew Blaze, an LGBT plus activist living in Lagos, Nigeria. Matthew uses their social media to shed light on life as a young queer Nigerian and the discrimination the LGBT plus community in Nigeria experience systematically and institutionally. Matthew is also an advocate for gender equality and a sexual and reproductive health activist. Matthew is currently a Woman Deliver Young Leader, a trustee of Reports Out UK, a volunteer content creator at Niger Queer City Podcast, and a peer educator at Foundation for Better Health and Human Rights. Thank you for joining me today, Matthew. Thank you for having me, Mayowa. I just feel like I'm so happy that we're having this conversation because I think with the recent NSARS protests and the young queer Nigerians that were making their voices heard within the NSARS movement, I think there's just so much for us to talk about. So my first question is, Nigeria is an extremely homophobic society. And for many people, the thought of being openly queer is scary enough, but then being an activist on top of that just seems unthinkable. So what inspires you to not only live your truth openly, but actively use your platform and your labor to seek justice for the LGBT community in Nigeria? So um, for me, the quest for survivor really um, inspires me so much to keep fighting for young queer Nigerians. And the fact that I don't want any other young person to go through the hell I was subjected to as a queer person while growing up also inspires me. Because being queer in Nigeria is actually difficult. The fact that um, um, it's against... Uh, it's against, in quotes, your cultures and tradition, and people tend to use the culture and the tradition and the constitution to justify the the way they treat LGBTQ people in Nigeria. So, so yes, it is difficult to be queer in this place because you have several laws in place that subject you to homophobia and torture, and even when you want to ignore them and just exist. It is nearly impossible to ignore them and assist because at the end of it all, they govern how you relate with people, how you relate with yourself. So it is crazy. And I look up to people coming behind me and myself for the inspiration to keep fighting every day. You speak about Nigeria's culture of homophobia. What, in your experience, do you think is the biggest contributing factor to the widespread homophobia we see in Nigeria? Um, I think, for me, it is religion. Religion, religion and illiteracy. Mm. So um, there's this disconnect from our culture, really. So when we keep talking about, when we talk about culture, we don't really talk about the real thing. We don't really talk about our real culture. We keep talking about the whitewashed culture and um, the aftermath of colonialism. 
So what people don't know is that in the pre-colonial Africa era, there were gay people and they were socially accepted by a large number of people. Mm-hmm. So um, the record of homophobia then were low because we see in Uganda, in Uganda, we had King, King something of Buganda, sorry, that was openly bisexual and he was a king. He, he affected, um, he impacted positively on his kingdom and he ruled well. And also in Nigeria, precisely Nupi, we see that fair men have been married out to kings and other royals. And also, also in the Igbo land, we see that women are being married to other women. So these things existed in our culture and they weren't disrespected. In fact, women that were married to other women were seen as strong and um, fair men that were married to king were respected. So after the whitewashing, we kind of were disconnected from our culture, what it really is to be queer. And now people think queerness is a Western import, which is not. Mm-hmm. which is not, and it's crazy that people think this way because they are not educated and they don't really know what their culture and tradition is. So when people bring the argument of culture to the table when we are talking about queerness, it is just funny. It is hilarious because uh, at the end of it, they don't really know their culture. Mm-hmm. And the whitewashed uh, religion that we have now is also a major contributing factor to, to, to this. And people are so afraid to question it because at the end of it, it oh, at the end of it, you have a supreme power that you shouldn't question at all. So people are scared to question the supreme power. People are scared to ask questions. So this, their book is, a justification for their homophobia, for their misogyny, and for other crimes against humanity that they commit. And nothing is being done about it because people are so scared to question the 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 God behind this. And mm-hmm. when we are saying the God behind this, we need to be honest with ourselves. White men are behind this. There is no figure really out there. White men are behind this because they brought the they brought their religion to us and they spoon fed us with it and instead of vomiting it we digested it and now we are suffering the aftermath of everything. So religion is a major contributing factor to homophobia and illiteracy illiteracy, people don't want to educate themselves. And even when it is their duty to do so, white people especially, and women, spoon feed them with information every time. But they keep vomiting this information as if they are not important. And on the topic of religion, have you been able to find ever from childhood to now, any religious community that embraced you, knowing fully well that you were queer and and didn't think there was anything wrong with it? Uh, no, 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 no. And 
No, I I am Catholic. So I was born a Catholic. And even in the church, there was homophobia. There was homophobia that was really obvious. That was really obvious to everybody. And nothing was done about this. Even when I tried to have conversations with the priest about this homophobia, nothing was still done about it because the church, the, the stance of the church is against homosexuality. The church is largely against homosexuality. Until recently when Pope Francis came and said something else, which a lot of Catholics oppose. Mm-hmm. So um, the church wasn't the place for me. And um, mm-hmm. I have checked Islam and Islam is not also the place for me because in the Sharia, gay people are subjected to stoning, stoning to death. So why would I want to embrace a religion that stones people like me to death? So it is crazy. I can't embrace that. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about the African tradition, I feel the African tradition that is being practiced now is also whitewashed. Absolutely. Even when we try to think about it as the real thing, we only end up realizing that it's whitewashed because I feel African tradition too, who should embrace all our diversities. But what we see today is not it. You come online and you see a lot of Ifaqis making homophobic tweets and it's just crazy that I haven't found a religion that is really open to homosexuality, that is uh, accepting to queer people. I hope that someday we might redefine this religion and give them new meanings. But for now, oh, nothing is really happening. And I think the sad thing is, at least with how I was raised, because yes, I was raised Christian as well. Um, Christianity is supposed to be built on this foundation of love. And I think religion has been weaponized so many times, whether it's to to justify slavery, to justify colonialism, to justify homophobia, to justify misogyny. And it's really sad that what we see today is so far removed from these doctrines that we see in the Bible, these doctrines that we've been taught to accept and act out in our everyday life. Yes. And when I talk to older people about Nigeria's homophobia, a lot of them will talk about people like Bob Risky and say that Bobriski is successful, Bobriski is rich, Bobriski is safe. Doesn't that mean that homophobia is declining in the country? And for non-Nigerian listeners, Bobriski is a trans woman who has amassed millions of followers on social media platforms like Instagram and Snapchat by flaunting her wealth, her glamour, wealthy boyfriends, and just making herself a reality show for the world, really. Do you think the success of people like Bob Risky does in fact indicate that Nigerian society is more embracing to the LGBT plus community? Mm, um, that is untrue. That is largely untrue because we need to, we need to have a conversation around class and wealth and elitism. 
we need to have a conversation around those because your money buys you anything you want, even freedom. Your money can get you that. Your money can can get you a nice house where with good security, where you don't have to battle with everyday homophobes. Your money can get you a good car. Your money can get you a lot of things which Bob Risky currently has. So when we are talking about the everyday life of queer Nigerians, I feel wealthy people or people who enjoy a form of privilege shouldn't be brought into the conversation. Because at the end of it, majority of queer people are poor people. They are living under the bridges. They are living in uncompleted, uncompleted buildings. They, they, they are being outed to their parents. They are threatened. And it is so difficult for majority. So when we are trying to talk about the the rates of acceptance in Nigeria, we shouldn't use privileged people as a benchmark for this conversation because privileged people are not the majority. I agree. And trust me, if Bobri was a poor woman, she wouldn't be getting this kind of treatment that is being shown to her. But she's wealthy. Mm -hmm. She can easily buy buy justice. She can easily buy buy anything she wants with her money. She's so wealthy and connected. What about the majority of queer people out there that are not wealthy, that are not connected at all? What should be their fate? What should be their fate? They are being killed every day. They are being detained. They are being threatened, blackmailed, harassed, or assaulted. All sorts of dehumanizing treatment are being melted on these young people who are the majority. And still, people say homophobia is declining in Nigeria. That is a fucking big lie. It is not. It is not. People like Bob Riskin and other wealthy gay people just the exception. put the glamour out there and cover everything. It's just like covering a wound that, that is not properly healed. It keeps getting rotten inside, but the outside is, is, is glamorous. It is fresh. It is healing, but nothing is really happening. So majority of queer people in Nigeria, as I said earlier, are poor people. People can afford um, the basic human amenities. So... And they face they face homophobia every day. They face homophobia, violence, homophobia every day. And they are always online talking about this, telling their stories. And I'm part of them. I tell my stories every day online. And mm-hmm. I always talk from the non-privileged lens because I don't have money. I don't have the connection needed. I don't have anything at all but I am still thriving. So the homophobia in Nigeria is crazy. The acceptance rate is slowly increasing. I mean, slowly, very slow. The acceptance rate isn't just rapidly increasing. It is slowly increasing. And rich people, privileged people, shouldn't be the benchmark of this conversation because they don't understand there's a large disconnect. Mm. 
And on Twitter, you've tweeted about the effects of money on the experiences of queer Nigerians. Do you think the laws criminalizing queer Nigerians and the entire LGBT plus community, do you think those laws only apply to the less privileged? So does money buy you access to an accepting and safe society as a queer person? And I think this is an interesting thing to discuss because we've seen that while Babriski does enjoy a certain amount of safety, we have also seen that her life has been threatened. She has been thrown in prison um, a few times. So does wealth really, really buy you access to acceptance and safety? Yes, it does. In every context, it does. Even in, not even within the LGBTQ community, it's a general thing. Your money will buy you anything. So now, for instance, you said Boriski has, um, has been um, arrested in many situations. But at the end of it, she yeah. comes out victorious and she has a way of buying her way out of these situations. But for an average queer person who is poor and underprivileged, who is poor and not connected, if this person gets arrested, trust me, we might never hear of them again. Mm-hmm. This is true. That comes to we might never hear of them again because they are poor. Who wants to hear them out? Who wants to, which lawyer do they want to call? Who will pay the lawyer? What will they say? How will they buy their way out? Can they afford it? And at the end of it, you, you're just locked up behind us. So money really plays a huge role in how people accept other people. And it is actually crazy. It is not something to be glorified. It's not something to be embraced. It is not something to be worshipped. It is something to talk about. And it is something to talk against. Because uh, your privilege shouldn't buy you justice. Your connection shouldn't buy you justice. We should all be neutral in the face of, of the law and we should just all be neutral in everything we do. But it is crazy that in Nigeria, our reality is sad. And if you don't have these things, you might never, you might never enjoy any form of, of freedom. And, and, and yes, it is crazy like that. And I think just adding to this understanding of homophobia as something in Nigeria that's quite classist and elitist as well. I, time and time again, I see these stories of young men who are thought of as too effeminate in public transport or walking down the road being attacked. And if you're wealthy, you're in your car. Nobody can, you know, nobody has access to you when you're in your car. Um, A lot of these instances seem to have been sparked by men around feeling that people like you um, who have shared these experiences have said that they were too effeminate. People around you think that you're too effeminate. Would you say that masculinity is something that is closely policed and heavily guarded in Nigerian society? Yeah, I, I, yes. Um, a, lot of people, a lot of people fear what they don't understand, and especially men. 
men, I, I feel they feel threatened whenever other people who are male are existing outside our uh, masculinity should, our masculinity is prescribed by the society. So they feel threatened and it is evident in everything they do. Number one, it is evident in, in how, um, how they relate with able women. So if a woman shows a sign of masculinity or something, she's highly respected, even though they will still be misogynistic to her because she's a woman, but she's respected because there's a touch of masculinity in her. But for other women, the way they treat them, they treat them as um, second-class citizens, people that could be, people that should just be treated anyhow. So um, for masculinity, I think it really affects um, the way femme people are being treated because they are outside the prescribed um, form of masculinity. So femme people are redefining this because they have no option. People are born femme. People are born femme. So we don't have any option than to redefine this and make it comfortable for us. But trust men, anything that is outside how a man should be is highly dangerous to them. They see, they see people that live outside, outside that box as a threat. So masculinity really affects how men react and treat other men who are not in their box. So it plays a heavy role, especially for me as a femme person. I don't really get the the preferential treatment that other males get. I don't. I don't, I am treated as trash and just there because of femininity, the femininity that I express and embrace. And men, actually men fear, men just fear femininity in, in other men. They fear it, they don't want to see it exist in other men because it is tied to weakness, it is tied to negativity mm-hmm. and even within the lgbtq community you see uh, cis men especially cis passing men cis passing men call femme people bitches call them bitches call them all kind of things because yeah. they feel that femininity in them is tied to being a bitch and being weak and being all that. So it is crazy and it's not evil within the the other communities, the heterosexual communities. It is also in the LGBTQ community how femme people are treated. So if you don't exhibit the prescribed masculinity, you're just seen as something that should be discarded something that you shouldn't be seen hanging around with, something that is just there. So you don't get the basic respect that other men get. For me, even in school, even in school, how my lecturers react to other males and men 
is different from how they react to me. They tend to see everything I say as funny, which is not funny to me. Mm. They tend to see it as funny. They tend to see me as unserious. And one did not even... Yes, it's, um, it's insulting. Exactly. One did not even... I, he told me that I am behaving feminine. And behaving feminine makes me unserious. How does that relate? And again, here, you see how misogyny and homophobia just end up kind of reinforcing yes, each other. Yes, yes. And it is, it, is, it is crazy. It is crazy, really. You are fighting a battle, and within that battle, the people you are fighting with are fighting with you. And you just don't know what to do. You are just confused. So, yes, masculinity plays a huge role in how you are treated in the society by other men and other women. Because I feel I feel the society has eaten deep into women also that um some women are have this internalized misogyny and when they see fair men, when they see fair men, they feel threatened by them. And they insult them and make them feel less offensive. And a lot of people justify their homophobia by stating the laws of the country, um, the Criminal Code Act and the Same-Sex Marriage Prohibition Act. However, I find that many people also view these laws as existing only on paper. And they'll argue that in real life, these laws aren't enforced. But I've seen and heard stories of young gay men being harassed and arrested by the police on the grounds of these laws. What is your experience of these laws? And do you see them as having a very real impact on the personal freedoms and safety of queer Nigerians? When people say the law are just on paper, I, I, I tend to laugh because most times it, it, it comes from cis heterosexual people they don't know what gay people have to suffer mentally every day because of the existence of those laws. So we are being punished every day because of those laws. And they don't even only exist on paper. Recently, 57 men, okay, not even recently, three years ago, their, their case was just struck out um, some days ago. Three years ago, 57 men were paraded at the party. They said they were being initiated into homosexuality. They were in court for three years. Still, they did not get... That's just ridiculous. Yes. still they, and There was no evidence at all. There was no evidence from the police. And instead of the court to, to dismiss this case, they did not... They did not dismiss this case at all. It was in court for three years. It was in court for three years. Why was this case in court for so long, even when evidences were not there? It shows the homophobia in the society and the homophobia in the judicial system. They just don't want these boys to exist anymore. And even before that, we've seen instances where queer people have been dragged to court for just existing. So the, the laws are not just on paper. They're not just on paper. They affect our everyday lives as queer people. 
we go out every day, we can't touch ourselves. We go out, we are too scared of hugging ourselves. We go out, we are too scared of being in a in, in a gathering. We are too scared of coming close to ourselves. So this is the implication of this law. This is one of the implications of this law. And we are suffering the punishment. We are suffering the punishment. And it is being enforced every day in our head. Every day that we cry. Every day that we think about it. Every day that we try to fight for justice. It is being enforced in our head that in as much that we are trying so hard, there's a limitation to everything we can do because of the existence of this law. So it is doing its duty. It is putting us in fear. It is putting us in a cage. It is locking us up in a prison. Mm -hmm. That is what it, it, it was meant for. And they even go further to lock us up in physical prisons because of these laws. Why do policemen justify arresting gay people with, with the SSNPA? Because it exists and they can use it against you. So when people say the laws is just on paper, it is not being enforced, I laugh because they don't understand. They don't understand how these laws are being enforced in our everyday life as queer people. And on this topic of law enforcement and queer Nigerians, something I th that I thought was really interesting to see was that queer activists like you within the NSARS movement were also publishing stories and, and shedding light on stories of queer Nigerians who had been brutalized by the police. And a lot of activists were talking about queer lives matter. And I think that was just amazing to see because the truth of the matter is just as police brutality can be gendered and can have very different um roots and outcomes because certain subjects are women, that also happens to people who are queer. Why was it important for you and other activists to form, to, to not necessarily form, but to highlight queer experiences within the NSARS movement, as opposed to just go under the umbrella of NSARS without creating any kind of differentiation? Um, like, we need to understand that our differences is a reality. We need to know that in as much that we try to say these differences don't exist, they do exist. And they affect how we are, we are seen, how we are targeted, how we are related with. So as a femme person, as a gay person, I am not actually targeted because of the phone I carry or because of um, the flashy whatever. I am targeted because I am femme. And for masculine presenting women, butch, butch lesbians or butch women, they are targeted for just being botched. They are targeted for that. And if other people can come out to talk about police and how um, they target them, why shouldn't queer people come out and talk about these two? Why shouldn't the movement be intersectional? Why shouldn't we come with our 
different problems as it relates to our major cause of 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 protest so it is important to always remind ourselves that in as much that we are uh, we are oppressed by one system the mode the mode of oppression is different is different we are oppressed by one person okay we are oppressed by the police the mode which police uses to oppress us is different different as a gay person i am targeted for this as a straight person you are targeted for your phone and this as this and we are doing that without causing any any uh, form of chaos or or any form of of how will i put it any any other protest under the guise of NSAS or whatever protest so those movements can exist our stories can exist they can coexist and we can all come together to fight our enemies with this different stories. Did you find that there was any backlash by other protesters? Yes, there was. There was. Um, for me, I was verbally, I was verbally assaulted, and I saw it in their their eyes. Some of them wanted to eat me, but they couldn't. And in Abuja, for Amara, she was she was assaulted also. Oh, a group of protesters turned uh, their back at her and um, they tore a placard and they told her not wow. to uh, hold the rainbow flag, that if she wants to do that, she has to leave the protest ground. So, and I, I had other cases of people being beaten by other protesters and yes, we got assaulted by fellow protesters for coming to together to fight against our common enemy. And we know that we know that we are fighting a common enemy with our enemy. So it is just crazy that the people you are fighting with can negotiate you with your common enemy. So, yes, but queer people still. And for me, the sad part is that these people are young people. A lot of the time people will say that, oh, it's the older generations that are homophobic, but these are young people protesting as well, protesting to have their humanity acknowledged by the state while they themselves are able to able to take, well, attempt to take away the humanity of others through abuse, through violence. It's really sad to see that. It is. It is very sad. For many young queer Nigerians listening to this, the situation seems dire and the situation just seems like it's one of constant assault, constant discrimination. So are there any resources out there that can help a young queer Nigerian to connect with other queer Nigerians and also find safe spaces where they can be themselves? Um, social media is a very powerful tool. And for me, as a young person, I use social media to connect with a community and other queer people. So I think young people should invest in 
social media. If they want to meet other queer people, use Twitter, use Facebook, use Instagram. And once you're able to get one person that is openly out there and is talking about their experience, you can easily connect with other people because that's the joy of social media. Once you meet one person, you can connect to a community. So for young people like me that are listening to this podcast, I would want you to be on social media if you want a community because most times the conversation on social media and um, the conversation on social media leaves social media to offline spaces and everything that every form of communication that um, trans translates to the offline communication is at online first. So even if you want to meet people offline in other physical spaces, you have to be on social media first to see what is really ongoing there. In what ways do you see Nigeria changing when it comes to the country's treatment of the LGBT plus community? Oh, honestly, for me, after, <laughs> after what happened um, during the NSAS, I can see that a lot of people are interested in these conversations because I got a lot of tests after that, uh, after that from cis-heterosexual people and they told me that I really helped them in understanding queerness and what it feels like to be queer in Nigeria. So I am sure a lot of people are also like this heterosexual people that have reached out to me. So if we keep fighting this way, there should be change for all of us. If we keep challenging the government, keep suing them, keep making them know that um, in as much that you are a government, your laws shouldn't exist to govern my own life Mm -hmm. and how I want to live it. So young people are having this conversation and for young queer Nigerians, this is like a revolution for us that is happening. So yes, we hope to see change someday. And my last question is, what advice can you give to a young queer person who's too afraid to come out and live in their truth? I think sometimes your fears, not even sometimes, most times your fears are valid. Your fears are valid, especially when you know what is in place for you if you come out as a gay person in this homophobic country. So it's it's important to weigh your options as a person who wants to come out. But for me, if you know coming out will be at the detriment of your security, your, your job, your life, everything, I would advise you just keep doing what you're doing currently because it is very difficult out here. Very, very difficult out here. So just keep existing. And coming out isn't a one-time thing. You keep coming out every time because you meet people who don't know about you, about your sexuality, 
and you start studying them over and over again. So yes, you should actually weigh your options before coming out. You should weigh your options. It is very important because you don't want to come out and start living like a very miserable life because of how this system is built for mm-hmm. people are seen as outcasts. They are not provided with any form of fund that could help them sustain themselves. And a large number of people out there are homophobic also. So it is crazy if you come out and you are exposed to all this. So weigh your options. Do you want to come out? Do you really want to come out outside like that? So it is important to ask ourselves these questions before we take any action. Thank you so much for that. So in this next section, I like to just ask rapid fire questions. So you choose one out of two options and it's just a way for listeners to get a better sense of your personality, your likes, your dislikes. So are you ready? Yes, sure. Cool. So Instagram or Twitter? Twitter. Your ideal first date, restaurant or trip to the beach? Oh, restaurant, please. <laughs> Dance hall or Afrobeats? Uh, I don't know what either of those are. Afrobeats, you know, like Nigerian music or dance hall, which I guess is more like Caribbean, you know what I mean? Caribbean music. I don't listen. Okay, let me, Af- Afrobeats, Afrobeats. I guess that's a safe. <laughs> <laughs> so, activism online or on the streets? Ah, last, last, we are doing both of them. <laughs> Do you want to watch a play or a movie? A play. Short stories or poetry? Poetry. 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 <laughs> Rice or swallow? Rice. Fiction or non-fiction? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, hey, Jesus. What do they call faction? Faction, <laughs> a mixture of fiction and <laughs> booker or restaurant. Oh, Jesus, booker, booker. I mean, <laughs> you want good, good food, yes. local flavors. Yes. <laughs> jollof rice or fried rice? Oh God, jollof, jollof, jollof. Smoked jollof. Mm, same. Nightclub or concert? Oh, Jesus. Oh, oh God. Concert. Concert. Day or night? Oh, night. Night. <laughs> wine or a cocktail? Wine. White wine, precisely. Loud and proud? Or quiet but confident? Loud and proud. (laughs) I knew you were going to choose that. (laughs) So in this final section of the episode, I want us to discuss the three texts that have shaped the way you think. And I say text because it doesn't necessarily have to be a book. It can be a poem. It can be lyrics to a song. So yes, what three texts have really shaped the way you think and see the world? Mm, 
this book, So Long a Letter by Miriam Apa. Um, it, it, um, it brings me to the reality of, of women, really, and what they go through in marriages and after divorce, especially in the North. Um, this poem, uh, okay, Anti-Woman by uh, Sojourner Truth, um, that, that explores the uh, reality of black, black people in these slavery days. And God, which I, I read a lot of poetry collection. Um, okay, I think I like Bont, Bont Men, Bont Men by Romeo Oriogun, that talks about the reality of poor people in Nigeria and how they are being burnt on the streets and nobody's talking about it. So, yes. They're really lovely books. Strong selection. I actually just got so long a letter, and I'm so excited to read it. Yeah, you read so long a letter. I know. Don't shame oh me. I haven't God. read it, but I, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to fix that. I promise. <laughs> I know, and I call myself a reader. Truth anti anti a woman. No, it's not. Is it? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Anti woman. Yes. Yeah. And then also. Um, Bell Hooks as well has a novel called, well, not a novel, sorry, a book called, it's nonfiction, Entire Woman as well. Oh, really? I'll check it out. But yeah, I feel like it's just amazing that you mention books by um, two of your, of your three are by black women, because I think just black women's intellectual contribution to the world is always, always yeah, ignored. Yeah, black women, black women and queer people, I feel they are the major. Yes. And both they've given so, so much to us young people to read in order to understand ourselves, in order to understand the world around us. Yeah, sure. Yeah, thank you so much for this conversation. It's been amazing. I've learned so much. I feel like this is the second time we've spoken. And every time I talk to you, I learn so much. And there's so much for me to think about. So, Yes, thank you so, so much. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Yes, I did. And thank you for having me. Cool. To find out more about Matthew, follow them on Instagram at matthew.blaze. Blaze is spelled B-L-A-I-S-E. And Twitter at Blaze Matthew. You can find me on Instagram where I'll be reading and reviewing books at myowa underscore reads. Thank you for listening.